As your schedules are all starting to fall into place for the semester ahead and you put pieces in place of helping you get to where you want to be and who you want to become, um, one more opportunity for you in terms of your discipleship formation. Tomorrow night at 9 o'clock will be a small group fair in the campus center in the hour before praise and worship. There'll be small groups, um, leaders out there, different resources and materials available. If you're still thinking about leading a group, talk to myself, John DeGroat, um, or Caleb Vanderhill, and we'd be happy to connect you, students, staff, or faculty. Please pray with me. Father, we want to grow in you. This is why we are here. We want to know how to live in a way that glorifies you. We want to know how to think in ways that glorify you. Father, we long for more of you and more of your truth. Amidst the clamor of all the voices we hear, may yours cut through and cut us to the heart. Father, reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to try to imagine with me someone who has hurt you deeply in, in this life something they said or something they've done, something that has cut deep into you and scars you, something maybe that you still carry with you. You have a tape for that person, a rehearsed speech of what you would say if you could strap them into a chair and just unload. The words that would make you feel vindicated. What does that tape sound like? What would you say? Better yet, maybe you could even give the script of your vindication speech to somebody else, a person in a position of power or authority, and they could be seen for all sorts of other people to truly reveal to them what it is that they've done. How would that make you feel? And then Jesus said, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from the other person's eye. Perhaps you thought the exercise I just led you through was a little bit unfair. I kind of set you up. Invite you to judge someone and then tell you we're not supposed to judge people. This is the feeling that marks the beginning of the book of Amos. This prophet from Tekoa, this this shepherd from the south in Judah is preaching in the northern kingdom. 
We've just finished a period of Jeroboam II as king in the northern kingdom in Uzziah in the south. And Israel, for the first time since the time of David, has reestablished itself as the only global superpower in the world. Wealth is flowing in. And against this backdrop and in this context, the voice of Amos, the prophet, comes out. And all the nations around them have had their way with Israel for a long time. And the book starts off with these eight oracles against the other nations all around them. Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, and then best of all when it comes to the last one, Judah, their arch rival. And you can kind of hear in between what's being written on the pages, this, this heart inside of Israel as these war crimes of these other nations of what they've done to them and the way they've hurt them and killed their women and children and scarred them in so many ways, you could hear their heart coming through the page saying, go for it, Amos, give them hell. And then finally, after the best comes last, vindication against these arch rivals and the people who think they're better than them, then Amos spends nine chapters in this book turning the tables on Israel itself, saying, and now for you. I know it made you feel good to hear about all those other nations, but now you. And the things that Amos rails on throughout his book are kind of the same. They have to do with the wealth and the success and the prestige that is poured back into Israel. And it's developed a sort of complacency within the people of God, not at all like what we experience today in America. He rails against the disparity of wealth between those who are rich and those who are poor. Not like the context we find ourselves in. Last year, CEOs of the S&P 500 made an average of 331 times what the average employee in their company made. 331 times. I will call that for what it is. That is absolute and utterly sinful. We will answer for these discrepancies before God. But I love picking on those ones because it's so easy. If Amos were here to tell me and speak back to me after I quote a line like that, he would say, oh yeah, well Aaron, you and all your fellow Dort College employees actually make somewhere between 100 and 200 times, even during this hour, what the poorest half of the population of this same planet makes. 100 to 200 times as much. And I will answer for that. When Amos starts saying this stuff, he makes people uncomfortable. Even the high priest in Bethel goes to the king and says, his name is Amaziah, and he says, we can't take this. This is the line from chapter 7, verse 10. The land cannot bear his words anymore. Get him gone. Get him out of here. Nobody in their place of comfort wants to hear a hard word from the Lord. We want everybody else around us to sprinkle holy water on our American dreams, to leave us sort of where we're at. And our faith in America has become so individualized that we've lost the ability to receive what it means to to hear the word of the Lord and for it to have a prophetic bite within our lives. 
I think many people believe that the gift of prophecy is incredibly rare. But I will tell you what is even rarer. The gift and the ability to receive prophecy. I think we often think that if, if we were to find somebody who was truly prophetic, they would be like an uber-spiritual, super-close-to-God kind of spiritual superhero. But I think the true, one of the true marks of maturity in the Christian faith isn't the ability to rise above and to sin no more, but it's the ability to constantly be convicted of our sin, to be able to hold the word of the Lord back in front of us, and continually come to a place of repentance and brought back to renewal again and again and again. As you form the different parts of your life and how you shape community around us, do not let our version of discipleship be so infiltrated with a spirit of individualism that we are not shaped by those around us. Those of us who are educators know full well one of the best tools in the classroom in order to educate somebody is to create contrast. You play the devil's advocate. You play the opposable mind. Someone puts forward an idea and you challenge it back. And through this process, learning moves forward. And yet for some reason, we have not applied the same principle to our own spiritual growth. We're not honest enough with one another to be able to say, I need you to speak into my life. I am asking you. Tell me where I don't look like Jesus. I need you to be prophetic into my life. And woe to you if you don't. Woe to me if you don't. Amos is telling the people throughout this book, you need a hungry heart, you need a hungry heart. And they keep wanting to deflect and push it on everything else. And the secondary theme in this book is this whole notion of the day of the Lord. We talked about this last week. Throughout the minor prophets, this theme begins to emerge. It evolves over time. The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. This is when Israel will be vindicated. And it starts to take on this little bit of a twist. It's got a nationalistic, patriotic feel to it. God will vindicate us and he will get everybody else back. It's a self-centered sort of peace that begins to develop within this idea of the day of the Lord and a view of the end. I'm sure we'll be fine, but everybody else better get ready. And in answer to this, here too again, Amos flips the table on the people who are calling for God to come, essentially saying to them, be careful what you wish for. From Amos 5, verse 18, woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion, only to meet a bear. As though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall, only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark, without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious festivals. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like an ever-failing stream. And here again returns this prophetic message, this theme of a call back to justice, that God's people would look and they would act. 
different. I had a conversation earlier this week with Dr. Leaf. He was talking about how in all the places in the Old Testament, when God reveals himself to people, when he self-discloses, he always says, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the God who, and he self-discloses talking about a whole lot of verbs, the things that he has done. That's how he defines himself. One of the great problems with the way we've manifested the church and the body of Christ in America today is we're not looking like our God and trying to reveal ourselves in the same way. All the great moments of history and of great light for the church are when the people around us are able to say, those Christians, aren't they the people who... And then something beautiful follows. But think of the way we talk about our own communities of faith. When you talk with somebody else, when you describe even a local church maybe you want to go visit. Bethel CRC, aren't they the church that... Christ community, isn't that the place where... And the way that you finish those lines and the way that you talk about our faith communities and the way people talk about us, is it the same way that God self-discloses? Are we known by this? That we pour out justice, that we look different, that our prophetic place in the world isn't full of empty words. And offerings only made in our sanctuaries before God, but in a way that is truly a prophethood of all believers, speaking loudly before the nations. I think Amos would tell us the same thing he told the people of Israel, that that a hungry heart is rarely accompanied with a garage full of toys and a giant bank account. It's not impossible. It's just really, really, really hard to be challenged by the things of God and the disparity of wealth and the way that we haven't used the resources that God has given us or played the role that God asked us to in the first page of the Bible to be stewards of this incredible creation. And this will be our call And this will be the way that we must be able to make ourselves known. Even the way that we understand prophecy too often today in the American church and the way that I see it used is more a reflection of the things that have twisted our hearts and not because we're so in love with the word of the Lord. Typically today when I hear prophecy being used, it is used to talk about good things that will happen to an individual in the future. There are three things wrong with this. Prophecy is a warning more often than not in Scripture. It is spoken primarily to corporate bodies, to nations, to the people of God, to the community of of worshipers. It's corporate, not individual. And more often than not, it's not about the future, but a call back to faithfulness. A call back and a reminder of what the law is and the path that God has given us. And if we will use prophecy like this to be able to point back to the ancient path and say this is what God has given us all along is the path that will lead to life. And if we will but follow this, it's not that we're punished when we screw up. It's just sort of a cause-effect thing. If we choose to stand outside of the place of blessing, it's hard to receive blessing. That's the warnings that all come at the end of the Pentateuch after the law is given, the blessings and curses, the if-then clauses. And that's the way that we need to speak. That's the way that we need to live. 
And we need to invite other people to speak into our lives, to be challenged. My hope for you this morning, my hope for all of us, is that we would become better as a community of not just wanting to say hard things to somebody else, but of longing for a heart that can grow more and more in the Lord because we want to be challenged, that we want to grow in our discipleship. May God afflict you where you are at in a beautiful way that makes you not want to stay where you are. May God make you uncomfortable in a beautiful way that makes you run headlong into his arms. May God whisper to you where you need to be challenged. And when you don't listen, may he yell. And when you still don't listen, may he take you out at the knees and his love envelop you all the way through it. Prophecy is not judgment, it is restorative. Come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. Run into the arms of our God. Let his word continue to challenge us and shape us. And then we will be the powerful witness we are called to be. Will you join me in prayer for that? (coughs) Father, give us pure hearts. Give us renewed minds. And give us clean hands. Father, there is tension within each one of us. Somewhere inside of our nature, we like to compare ourselves to others. And Father, we judge. For these things we repent. And we ask your forgiveness. Father, may we receive whatever it is that you have for us. And in any ways that your spirit is provoking our hearts this morning, Father, we ask that we would not leave this moment alone. Teach us to invite others to speak into our lives, to tell us where we don't look like you. Father, keep making us new so that your name would be lifted up in our lives. Start here. Start with us. May this world be changed, Father, but start with me. Make us new. In Jesus' name, amen.